Happy Monday. I'm Charlie Sykes. Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. Uh, this is the week that we will mark the 100th uh, day in office of, uh, of Joe Biden. We have a whole slew of new polls out yesterday uh, in, in our newsletter. We uh, put uh, in, in the Morning Shots newsletter, um, we basically let you choose your own adventure. Uh, you know, depending on which poll you look at, he's either up uh, by 10 points or up by 16 points. And by the way, that's that's just the you subtract the disapproval from the approval rating. Uh, so we can talk about that a little bit later. But I want to introduce uh, our Monday guest with this video in case you missed it. Last week, we also marked an interesting and somewhat bizarre anniversary, the one-year anniversary of Donald Trump's famous injecting bleach press conference. And the Republican Accountability Project put out this, this, uh, this video, which in case you missed it, here's the audio. I'm Olivia Troy. I served on Trump's White House Coronavirus Task Force. And here's the inside story on what happened where Donald Trump suggested Americans inject themselves with bleach. On that day, we held our daily White House Coronavirus Task Force meeting. During the meeting, there was a briefing from the Department of Homeland Security that showed that sunshine and cleaners could potentially reduce the number of hours that a virus could live on the service. And Trump said, well, this is good news, right? We should brief this. But really what the task force was trying to communicate to the public that day was that the mitigations in the 45 days to slow the spread had worked and we had seen case numbers drop. So I was in the room right outside and Donald Trump suggested people inject themselves with bleach. Injection inside or, or almost a cleaning. And we're in shock. You could see everyone looking around the room saying, did he really just say that? After the press briefing, Dr. Burks walks through the door and looks straight at me and says, why was he talking to me? I have nothing to do with that study. He just threw away all of the work we've done. That night, there was a discussion on how do we mitigate people actually ingesting bleach and CDC issues a clarifying tweet the very next day. A month later, CDC conducted a study and it was found that 4% of the respondents of the survey admitted to gargling diluted forms of bleach or swallowing other types of household cleaners to protect themselves from COVID-19. Trump and Trumpism still has a stronghold of the Republican Party. He's hinted at running in 2024. That is why we need to remember moments like this. I'm not a doctor, but I'm like a person that has a good, you know what. Because we can't allow him or someone like him to ever hold power again. So uh, that's a good way of introducing our guest today, Olivia Troy. I'm, I'm sorry, Olivia. First of all, um, welcome on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I still can't believe that happened. I know we talked about it on the podcast last week. Every time I listen to it, this actually happened. You know, it, it, a year ago, that man was the president of the United States, and he was talking about injecting bleach. And that little detail you have, 4% of... The respondents acknowledged that they had gargled or done something with bleach. Four percent? Frightening. I, 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 I remember that moment. And I that was the first thing that crossed my mind. I was sitting in the holding room right behind the screen or the podium where he's standing. There's a there's a room right behind that. And I'm looking at the TV and we're packed in like sardines in the middle of COVID, but we won't even go there right now. And I'm sitting there looking at it. And when he said it, I the first thing I thought was someone is going to die tonight. Right. That's, and then it went downhill from there. 
Yeah, it did go downhill as as a country as well, and um, I I do think that was that was a turning point. But the real reason, I, Olivia, I mean, this was you know we talked about this last week, but you know the reason I wanted to talk with you today on the podcast was because of something you wrote last week in the Bulwark that has really kind of haunted me, and I think you made a very very important point. It's the piece, um, the the GOP absorbed far right extremists, and I think you make the point that. It, well, in the in the video, you make the point that you know, we still have the the danger of Trump and Trumpism. But what I took away from your article is that it's it's morphed into something more. That that yes, Trump is still a threat, but that even if you remove Donald Trump from the picture, that that the the problems facing the right run deeper. Let me just read a couple of paragraphs you wrote. The danger of the modern Republican Party is not that it is populist and has nutty ideas about free trade and can't spell. It is not that it favors lib-owning cultural warfare over policy and good government. It is not that Trump is a moral Lilliputian and every other significant member of the Republican Party, with a handful of exceptions, is either a sociopath or a weakling. The danger, the real danger, you write, just as the big lie about election fraud became de rigueur, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, for Republican politicians after the election, that explicit white nationalism may become the central motivating principle for much of the party. You note that uh, Congressman Paul Gosar spoke at a white nationalist conference immediately before addressing CPAC. Senator Ron Johnson has begun dabbling in so-called replacement theory the same theory that led the Charlottesville marchers to chance Jews will not replace us. Tucker Carlson recently invoked a replacement theory on his show. So the warning here is, and as we saw on January 6th, the party is willing to incite violence when it feels like its hold on power is threatened. The America Firsters will be back. They will be better organized. They will have more followers. They will be better armed. And, you know, my takeaway from that was, wow, so we have been focusing on Trump and what Trump has done, but what you're saying is that 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 maybe Donald Trump himself is not the biggest threat facing the right. That that the right has been so transformed or so exposed that this has become a new what reflexive response to things. This is a, a new uh, a new habit of thinking, habit of mind. So talk to me about the, what the real threat is. Yeah, I've, you know, I've been watching um, everything that has happened under Donald Trump and his presidency. I watched it first at DHS, and then I got a bird's eye view directly in the White House. And I think what has grown as a concern for me is the fact that it's, you know, you can remove Trump out of the picture and you can say, and and rightly so, everybody is so done with talking about Trump now, right? We just want him right. to go away. But I think that it's almost like in the bloodstream of the GOP that this Trumpism and this this rhetoric and these dangerous movements that have been enabled under Trump have really found a home in the party, in the far, far right wing of the party. And, and that legacy lives on. And I don't see this going away anytime soon. We're seeing it carried out. I mean, I was pretty upset when I saw the article uh, about the Virginia GOP. Did you see that? About yes. not making accommodations um, for Jews observing um, for their Republican convention, that to me is all part of this. It is all part of this narrative of these replacement theories that they're espousing, the fear of, of other people outside of being Anglo-Saxon. I mean, that seven page 
what I would call basically a manifesto of the America First Caucus is frightening. That language in there is so appalling. And what worries me is that there should have been outrage from the Republican side, right? Other people, McCarthy, I guess, calls it out very tamely. Very tamely, yes. So, I mean, the way he calls out Maxine Waters, right? I mean, the double standard on that. Well, you've been watching this for some time, you know, been have been watching, uh, you know, the extremism on on the on the far right. And, and of course, the FBI directors called it a metastasizing threat. But really, what you've underlined here is the fact that that now this is becoming part of the mainstream conservative movement. This is part of the Republican Party. And I was struck by the same thing, that not only do you have this really dangerous, troubling development, but there's almost no pushback. That the, We have almost no energy um, on either conservative thought leaders or certainly not politicians to really push back against this and say, you know what, we really need to draw these lines. We need to draw lines against the illiberalism, the bigotry, the extremism, the conspiracy theories, the, the nut jobs. And it's as if we learned nothing over the last five years that you need to draw lines because that's just not happening right now. No, I mean, it is. And the issue with that is that by not drawing the line, you're enabling and you're emboldening these types of things. And you're saying it's okay uh, for them to behave in this. And it, it, it's adding just fuel to the fire, I would say. You know, starting from day one, when we had some of these initial attacks and we saw some of the rhetoric that was being espoused in these texts and some of these domestic terrorism attacks that happened under Trump's leadership, there was no response. You know, I couldn't get Mike Pence to call him out. I couldn't get him. I couldn't get him to draw the line. I mean, he would occasionally say, you know, hate needs to stop and things like that. But really, they needed to say enough. That's a white supremacy, right? Condemning it flat out and then rein in the party. But I think since no one has been held accountable for any of these things and they don't do that from the very top, I think they've just sort of set a precedent that it's okay. We've. We've accepted it. This is part of the GOP. Um, yeah, this is this is part of this is part of the GOP. So I, every once in a while, I get pushback from people who say, "Okay, why do you keep talking about Trump? Let's move on. Um, why do you keep talking about January six? That that happened. Let's now talk about something else." But the point that you made here is that January six was a was a warning flag that it was that it's not an, a story that that's over. You know, the party was willing to incite violence um, under certain circumstances. So when you say the America Firsts would be back, they will be better organized. They will have more followers. They will be better armed. I mean, you're you're seeing you you think that well. What 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 do you think will happen? Do you think we will have more? staged insurrections like this, more armed demonstrate? What, what is the actual nature of this threat? I, I just, I don't think that these groups are going away anytime soon. I do think that we'll continue to see violence and reactions to things in a more extreme manner. And I do think that they will, you know, they may have backed down from saying, no, we're not really launching this, but by de facto they have launched because by putting that document out there, it basically says we're here we are actually elected officials serving the, you know, in Congress. And we are supporting these movements, even though they may have, but they already sent the warning shot. Right? And I am concerned about how the types of legislation and the types of things and act- actions they will take 
in terms of their own districts or in Congress on what that means and what it all means for the overall GOP and actually for the better, for the good of our country. I see from the polls yesterday, um, I think it was the CBS poll found that something like 70% of Republicans actually uh, doubt the legitimacy of uh, Joe Biden's election. They still think that uh, the election was stolen. You know, I, I remember last year talking about the danger of certain kinds of rhetoric, that it would undermine the legitimacy of our democratic process. But, you know, it, it, that legitimacy has been undermined. If you have that many that many tens of millions of Americans believing that the sitting president of the United States did not get there through a legitimate election, then we've already suffered a tremendous loss of legitimacy in our democratic process, haven't we? We have, absolutely. I mean, we, democracy is fragile. We saw that and we lived it on January 6th. And we saw, uh, you know, what these people are capable of. And I say this just because... I mean, they're doing it. I guess the scarier part is, and I, we've talked about this before, is that they're doing it under the guise of their patriotism, right? There are people that put out there that said that they were coming in to fight the second civil war, that they felt yeah. they needed to fight for America. And and to me, this is all under the same umbrella of the big lie and pushing conspiracies and things that are just not true. They're, but you're feeding them to people and people are believing it and they're running with it. Okay. So this is a real threat, but how big is it really? You know, every once in a while we have to remind ourselves that Twitter isn't real life, that the loudest voices in the room don't necessarily represent anything, represent people. So you may have lots of rank and file Republicans who will tell a pollster they doubt the legitimacy, but, but, but how big is this extremist wing that you're talking about. It doesn't mean they're not dangerous because it doesn't take a lot of people to commit violence. But I mean, you know, can we, can we quantify what, what percentage of the Republican party this represents? It's hard to say. Um, it's hard to say whether these beliefs are truly representative of the core of the values of these individuals, although they're certainly not doing anything to counter that narrative. So what other aspect to it is there if you're not going to counter it? Um, but there is, um, you know, it's not a small number of people there. Mm. I mean, as we saw, not a lot of people stood up for our democracy when that all everything happened on January 6th. And you see, you know, I, when you look at their fundraising, that also says a lot about the fact that a lot of these individuals like, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Holly, all of these individuals are doing well in their fundraising. Well, that 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 obviously is is probably one of the most significant developments, which is that that crazy and irresponsibility actually uh, pays off. That the crazier you are, the more money you can raise. So the incentive structure on the right uh, is is pretty clear right now. So you're you're doing something very interesting. You're part of the uh, Republican Accountability Project. Uh, a lot of our friends are involved. In that Sarah Longwell's involved. In that Bill Crystal's involved. In that that's separate from what we do here at the Bulwark. But um, you unveiled something today that I think is fascinating: a GOP Democracy Report Card, which Republicans supported American democracy when it needed it. Uh, tell me about that report card, Olivia. So this will be a you know ever evolving ever evolving tool. It'll be a living tool, a reference to online that people can go to on accountable accountability GOP, and you can look up uh, your representative and see 
um, how they, what happened prior to January 6th, like how, what they did on the election, whether they voted to certify the election results, uh, what kind of public statements they made, uh, how they voted on impeachment. And it's basically a snapshot to really just kind of look up uh, quickly and say, okay, when people, when they try to memory hold this, which they already are, a lot of them are, and they're pretending that, you know, January 6th didn't happen, although we all watched in horror, based on the lie of the stolen election and fraud and all of these things, I think it's a good reference tool for voters to be able to look it up and say, okay, well, what did happen back then when they're, you know, out there pushing a different story? So this is like accountability.gop. That's that's your website, correct? Yes. Okay. So um, what you've done is you are evaluating members of Congress based on four criteria. Number one, did he or she sign on to the amicus brief filed along with Texas's lawsuit to the Supreme Court that sought to nullify votes cast in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia? Um, I think that's a big one. We want to talk about Kevin McCarthy in a moment because he signed on to that. Um, Number two, did he or she object to the certification of electoral college votes from at least one state? Number three, did he or she make public statements that cast doubt on the legitimacy of the 2020 election? And number four, did he or she vote to hold Trump accountable via impeachment or conviction? And then you have this really handy legislature, legislative, um, search tool. So you can enter in your full address. And then what happens is that you then you go to your your congressman and and your senator. I'm just I'm just looking at it. So if you you know, your senator, um, I, I think I know how my senator showed up. Uh, senator Ron Johnson gets a poor. There's very poor, mediocre, very few excellent. Senator Richard Burr is uh, is is excellent. Let's see who else who else? Uh, oh, t- Ted Cruz, you think you could figure out where he's going. Every single Republican member of Congress on all of this. And there, 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 are, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of surprises here. So speaking of accountability, it is interesting. Um, and I'm sure that you saw uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, on, with, on Fox News with uh, Chris Wallace uh, yesterday. And, and can Kevin McCarthy, I think, the, is the odds-on favorite to be the next Speaker of the House of Representatives. So you know, we know that we've been talking about the, the Republican Party has a base problem um, with all the people who, who believe the big lie, but it also has a leadership problem as well. So let me just play a little bit of this exchange with Chris Wallace. You might remember that Kevin McCarthy had this brief little spasm of of, of conscience and principle when he uh, denounced Donald Trump's role um, in the in the insurrection, and uh, it became part of the impeachment uh, proceedings. Uh, his account of a phone call that he had with 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 Trump, telling Trump to do something, uh, and and allegedly Trump said, "Well, you know, maybe you don't care as much about the election." In any case, Chris Wallace had this very interesting exchange with Kevin McCarthy. Let me play it and then get your get your response, uh, Olivia, on the other side. During the Trump impeachment yeah. in. February, during the trial in the Senate, a Republican Congresswoman said this. I want to put it up on the screen. She said that while the January 6th riot was in full force, you phoned President Trump and asked him to call off his supporters. And according to you, she said, the president responded, well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. 
Is she right? Is that what President Trump said to you? When I talked to President Trump about, I was the first person to contact him when the riots was going on. He didn't see it. What he ended the call was saying, telling me he'll put something out to make sure to stop this. And that's what he did. He put a video out later. Quite a lot later. And it was a pretty weak video. But I'm asking you specifically, did he say to you, I guess some people are more concerned about the election than you are. No, listen, my conversations with the president are my conversations with the president. I engaged in the idea of making sure we could stop what was going on inside the Capitol at that moment in time. The president said he would help. I want to ask you a specific question about this, because there have been and are continuing to be investigations of what happened on January 6th. We'll talk about the commission in a minute. Has the president ever reached out to you since that report came out to discuss what you and he talked about in the January 6th phone call, and did you say to him, I can't because we're under oath? No. That never happened? It's never happened. And you would have Never even close. And, and if it did happen, you would agree that would be witness tampering? Yeah, but never happened. Never even came close. Never had any conversation like that. Okay. <laughs> never even heard that rumor before till today. And that is exactly what this reference tool is meant to do, is to document exactly these actions and events and remind people of what what all of these individuals have led us down the path to and have done because it seems like they seem to have revision it's revisionist history going on here right it is aggressively revisionist history <laughs> and media. And, well and also i mean he's dancing and weaving and trying to rewrite that phone call and he's not really answering the question and and then there was that again kind of uh, suggestive exchange right at the end about well was there a phone call where the president tried to get you to say something different apparently and no I'm I'm under oath and um, I don't know whether Chris Wallace knows something about whether we're going to hear something I kind of have a feeling there might be another shoe that will drop but I, I think what you saw there um, was in real time the guy who may be the next speaker of the House of Representatives trying to memory hole the insurrection. So what are your thoughts about the January 6th commission? Because it seems like that's not going anywhere right now, in part because Republicans just don't want to play along. They're they're not taking it seriously. Yeah. And I have been one of the signatories calling for a commission because I do think that what happened that day, there are a lot of lessons to be learned from it. And it was a massive national security failure. But I think Republicans are scared of what it will reveal, right? And we've already, we already know what it's going to reveal and we know the truth about it. But the last thing they want is a full documentation and legacy of this going forward where there's an official group that lays out everything that happened from step, you know, A to Z and possibly implicates these individuals directly. Well, it is interesting the number of things that we don't know yet, including um, who, you know who or whether with those stories about um, Republican members of Congress that gave tours the day before through the Capitol. We keep hearing about that, but we don't know right. whether that actually happened. Uh, we, we haven't had the kinds of briefings that you would normally have after a major event like this. You know, I, I think you know every time that there's a you know there's a hurricane or a shooting or anything. You have that police briefing, not just the next day, the same day, and information is put out. We've never really had that about January 6th, have we? 
No, we always do a full review after major events like this. We do after action reports and we make sure that we learn from it. And there has not been a comprehensive review of this in a manner that really kind of connects the dots and makes recommendations moving forward. And I think that, I mean, it is horrifying to think that if these tours did happen and there's any connection there, that there are sitting members of Congress who were part of an entire event that could have led uh, to Mike Pence's life. Yeah. I mean, that led to Mike Pence's life being put in danger and all of these other congressional leaders, right? It's basically like the, the planning of an assassination of the vice president of the United States. Well, and the failure to that is scary. Well, and then the failure now that you know, going sort of looping back on our conversation, you know, perhaps the reason that they they you know wanted to move on from that was because of fear of Donald Trump, because they're just you know going down to Mar-a-Lago and kissing the ring and everything. But the failure to confront it has consequences, which is that it is allowing this conspiracy theory mindset to metastasize, to deepen and to grow within the Republican Party. Maybe that was isn't, you know, foreseeable but unintended consequence. Do you know what I'm I'm getting at here? It's like, okay, so originally it's like we're just going to appease Donald Trump, but now you're seeing this this huge number of Republicans that will believe any sort of you know, it was Antifa or, you know, we, we are going to continue to, uh, you know, imagine that the election was was stolen. So um, any hopes that the Republican Party would cleanse itself, um, I, I, I think, has been lost in part because of guys like Kevin McCarthy who refused to confront January 6th. Right. And I think uh, Kevin McCarthy is directly part of the massive disinformation campaign that's very counter hard to counter right now. I mean, well, he, he is, is yeah, yeah. It, right. He Look is what? leading it. He he's talking, he's talking about it. He's out there on the news networks and it's an echo chamber on, on networks like Fox news and, and news back they're repeating the same thing. Um, but these lies are being taken as gospel by the people listening to it. And so I just don't know how we get there as a country, to be honest with you, um, in terms of what is happening in our homeland security because of this as a result of it, and where that leaves us going forward when people are willing to lie about a fundamental thing that is critical to our democracy, such as the election and election integrity, it just spirals down from there. It do- it's a domino effect. You know, I, I was asked a question on a radio show earlier this morning, and I admitted I didn't have an answer to it, which the, the question is, what, what will it take to break this fever? Because we used to imagine, well, we'll take a 9-11 type uh, crisis or something. Well, we've had the crisis. We had the coronavirus. You know, half a million Americans die, 570,000. We've, we've had the attack on the Capitol. Well, what, what do you think? What, what, how do you break the fever? Because I don't know. I don't know. And I can't envision a scenario where, except through sheer exhaustion, just sort of the weight of its triviality that we just get, you know, move on as a country. But how do, what do you think? What is it going to take? I, I, I do think that we've got to continue to call them out on their lies and to call out the hypocr- hypocrisy of what they're doing here and how dangerous it is and to remind them of it consistently. But I think we're in a tough place until these people in leadership start to actually come clean with the truth instead of doing what they're doing. 
I think we are. We're in a very tough place. We're in a very dark place. And you basically have a major political party right now that is pushing anti-democratic messages. So let let me ask you this. Um, Your group is the Republican. Let's not brushstroke everybody. Yeah, exactly. So let me ask you this, though. Your group is the Republican Accountability Project. And there are a number of people uh, in the anti-Trump world who have basically decided, no, there's there's no hope for the Republican Party at all. Uh, everybody ought to be Democrats. Uh, we all ought to support uh, Joe Biden, whether that's the Biden Republicans or what, whatever. Um, we run articles in the bulwark from people saying, yeah, the Republican Party's done. You know, the, on- the only task is to get rid of all the Republicans and support what uh, Joe Biden is doing. I'm not being totally fair here, but... Um, uh, where do you come down? Because the point of the Republican Accountability Project seems to be that you hold Republicans accountable who don't stand up for democracy, but you are supportive of Republicans who did. Now, there's only 14 Republicans in Congress who receive an A in in in, in your rating. But where do you come down? Are you trying to fix the Republican Party or burn it down? <laughs> Great question. Uh, you know, not, I don't think not. we're going to fix, <laughs> we're not fixing the Republican Party anytime soon, given what we're seeing. But I do think it is important to, to stand by those that are hanging in there, that are trying to do the right thing. Because the last thing I want to see is their entire GOP be MAGA and solely MAGA. And white nationalism and white supremacy, because I think fundamentally uh, it's that is worse for the country. It doesn't help anybody. Okay, so Liz Cheney, the future of the Republican Party, it's going to be a really interesting indicator what happens with Liz Cheney. Uh, Over the weekend, we had that big story in the New York Times uh, about uh, MAGA versus Liz Cheney. And I thought she made a very, very interesting point that, you know, she's a down the line conservative party loyalist. The only thing um, that uh, stands against her is that she's not willing to be as abusive and obnoxious and outrageous um, as as Trump supporters. She wouldn't buy into the big lie. And yet that seems to be one of the big bright lines about the direction of the Republican Party. She's persona non grata for much of the Republican Party. So, um, you know, should should we rally around Liz Cheney? Yes. Because I think that we need to rally around pro-democracy conservatives who are trying to steer the party in a better direction than where it is today. But it is going to be very hard. And we are, and, but I feel like the people like Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, who are out there taking a stand, calling this out for what it is, I think those are important voices because those are the voices that can reach a lot of the conservative people watching these new news networks, hopefully in a manner that can get through to them on what is really happening here. But we need credible voices like that. We need credible voices on the Republican side of the House. So would the people who watch Fox News, if, if when a Liz Cheney comes on and says, look, I am a solid conservative, I share all of your values, but these things are wrong, this didn't happen, the election was legitimate, does that actually change anyone's mind? Um, because I agree with you that, that the only solution to this is to have trusted voices go, okay, 
I am with you on all of this stuff, but this is wrong. Now, Joe Walsh was a guy like that. I mean, he's as, I mean, he's way more conservative than even I am. I mean, he's solid. I mean, he's really, you know, in it, you know, at the cellular level. And he stood up and said, yes, but we, we can't buy this bullshit. This is, this is wrong. And he was just cast off. So they didn't listen to him. So, I mean, how, how, do, how does it work? Well, Liz Cheney ought to be able to say, I, I am with you on tax. I'm with you on government. I'm with you on, on, uh, I'm, I'm pro-life. I'm, you know, for conservative judges. But this is wrong, and yet they still don't listen to her. I, you know, I don't know how we fix that, to be honest, because uh, what we're seeing here, I think the bigger challenges, I mean, we're talking national level and federal level, um, at the congressional level. But when you look down at what's happening at the local level in the GOP party, some of them at the state level, it's pretty scary stuff. Um, no, it, it's, it seems to be getting yeah. worse at this. It, 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 it feels like it's getting worse at the state level. It is. And I think um, fundamentally, if you have these pockets at the state and local level that are strongholds, that is where it's going to become, it, it remains a really big challenge. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to take, you know, I'm hope I'm hoping that groups like ours, like accountability, GOP and others um, you know, we have, um, I should mention this, we have the sign the pledge uh, where we're bringing people together, Republicans, Democrats, organizations, businesses who are going to take a stand in their communities, especially in some of these districts with some of the people that have been, you know, are at grade F on our report cards and take a stand against them and sign the pledge and say, yeah, we are going to, you know, stand by our democracy. We're not okay with what's happening. I think that at the grassroots level and getting to the voters um, and communicating with them, I think is is going to be critical moving forward. So, what's your view of the of the Biden administration um, and this this question of uh, outreach to Republicans and uh, the so far the lack of bipartisanship? Uh, you know, so far everything's been done on a very very narrow partisan um, you know line. Uh, I certainly understand the arguments of people who say that most Republicans are not going to be dealing in good faith whatsoever. But looking at your list of pro democracy Republicans. There are still Republicans that strike me as open to working with the administration and that that would be a good thing for the country, maybe not necessary, but a good thing for the country. So where do you come down? Um, Should the Biden administration make stronger efforts to bring some of these Republicans on board? Yeah, you know, I think they had a major, they had obviously some agenda items that they really wanted to push through. And uh, it, it was clear that Republicans were not going to play ball, especially at the situation what's happening with the party, that this has become, you know, the party of not, not really focused on governing, but basically just playing games. And so I don't necessarily blame them for the fact that they said, you know, we've got things to do. We've got a massive pandemic. We've got all of these other things that we're dealing with. So we're just going to move forward or you're just going to hold us back. But I do think at some point now that it, it, it would be good for the country to work with those that have shown in good faith that they are going to come to the table and actually try to get somewhere. Um, you know, I, I, I want that to happen. I want that to happen on, on gun safety, especially. Um, but, you know, I'm coming at it from the perspective of a homeland security person who worked numerous mass shootings in the White House and in the aftermath of that. And I think you, 
tackling major issues like that in a bipartisan matter manner is is critical. Yeah, you have gun safety. You have the possibility of some police reform. I'm I'm very I'm very very skeptical, but. And I look, I understand that you're not going to get 10 Republicans to go along, that you're that they may have to do something about the, the filibuster at some point, despite what uh, Joe Manchin is is saying here. Uh, but I keep going down the list and thinking we, we know that there are Republicans who have signaled in the most dramatic way possible that they are willing to break with the tribe. Um, if you voted to convict Donald Trump and you are still in the United States Senate, you're still in the House of Representatives, then then you are willing to break with the norm. The problem is, and let's be honest about it, because and I, I think this is one of the you know, Democrats are quite enthusiastic about this. Uh, Joe Biden is, I think, temperamentally moderate. I think his personality is is is, is moderate. But the agenda is quite ambitious. This is, you know, maybe the most progressive agenda that we've seen since at least Lyndon Johnson. People compare him to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I think it's kind of naive to think that that even that 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 any conservative Republican is going to vote for that legislation simply because they want to be bipartisan or simply because Joe Biden's not Trump. Right, I agree with that too. I think that it it's going to take some negotiating. Um, but in order to negotiate them with them, right, you have to extend an invitation and invite them into the conversation. Yeah, you have to to, uh, you have to be there. Um, the the other story that I'm slightly obsessed about today is the uh, is the, the the way the right has jumped on this idea that uh, the Biden administration wants to uh, ban or restrict meat because of some uh, bogus story that appeared. You know, it is interesting how you know the right continues to lose interest in actual governing it it is that they they jump from one sort of culture war meme to another and you know for over the weekend it was you know let's beat up on lebron james for a an ill-advised tweet you know and uh, you know if you don't read what right-wing media you wouldn't know what a big deal it was that there's one bar in ohio somewhere that is not going to be playing nba games until until lebron james is banned from the league which is not going to happen by the way spoiler alert <laughs> so that was the huge huge story and then today it's like you know not going to happen joe biden is not going to take my hamburger for my july 4th cookout uh that like, what is this bullshit why and then they sort of and they'll just move on to the next Next thing, but it's an indication that the that the Republican Party is crazy town, even without Donald Trump. And that's going back to your your piece. I mean, and that's the really, I, you know, I guess for those of us that thought that maybe it would be over after the election, that once he left, he would have a return to sanity. That is not happening in spades. No, his legacy lives on through all of these people and his behavior, and it's one bogus claim after another. Right. I mean, oh, oh my gosh, the Larry Kudlow thing killed me. But now tell me about the Larry Kudlow the thing. Beer. Do you see that about the beer and how, you know, we're going to be, there won't, I guess, like Biden's going to make us all drink plant-based beer. I was like, um, hmm, newsflash, <laughs> what is beer made of? <laughs> Sometimes they mix in a little bacon, but <laughs> so <laughs> it goes uh, back to the meat thing. I mean, it is just yeah. so preposterous, but somehow... This is news in the right-wing media. What does he think it comes from? I mean, really? You get it from the beer nut tree. I mean, what? I, you know, the bacon beer. 
No, that's that's part of the frustrating thing. So you talk about the legacy of Trump. Uh, I've been actually reading John Boehner's book over the weekend, and uh, I have some critiques of it that I could give later on. But you know, one of the things that's very, very clear is that the Republican Party became crazy town uh, long before uh, Donald Trump came down the escalator. That 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 whole crazy town, um, you know, bomb throwing, lack of seriousness was was there before Trump. So, you know, we've said this before. You know, Trump has been incredibly damaging, but also, you know, reflects the fact that the dysfunction was a pre-existing condition in the Republican Party. And you get the sense that, you know, I mean, remember, uh, you know, uh, Boehner was was forced out by the crazies, um, you know, and the and, 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 and the and the bomb throwing lunatics uh, long before. And think about what what Ted Cruz was doing and some of the other folks in the conservative, uh, uh, you know, outrage industry were doing in the, in, you know, years before Donald Trump came along. So this lack of seriousness. Has been, yeah. Yeah. No, the lack of seriousness has been around a long time. So what else are you working on uh, this week? Because you've been doing some very interesting stuff lately, Olivia. What are you working on now? Yeah, we are. We're really focused right now on launching the reference tool, making sure that it's there uh, and people know, you know, it, it'll and will it'll evolve, right? Depending on what people do, what happens in the party, um, what conspiracies develop along the way, because I'm sure we won't. This isn't the end of it, and we'll see more of it. Um, so we're focused on that, and I'll be, um, you know, making sure that people know that that is that is there um, going forward. And then we'll be looking. Um, I'm definitely paying attention to what's going on with redistricting and how that's going to impact things because I think we're going to. We're going to really know a lot more about what 2022 and the primaries and those midterm elections are going to look like. Um, I was certainly watching, um, I was watching the congressional district up in Ohio uh, with Representative Gonzalez and what's happening there, because uh, I know that he is going to face a tough situation up there against the mega former, you know, Trump campaign person. Um, so, yeah, I'm just paying a close attention to what's happening in these districts and seeing what's what's going to happen going forward. Well, I have to strongly recommend going to uh, accountability.gop to look at this uh, this interactive tool because this report this report card because uh, you have a lot of information there and it, and it really does help clarify because as closely as we followed it, I don't think I could tell you you know any specific uh, member of Congress with the exception of the senators you know where they came down on each of those four different elements and again you know with with Kevin McCarthy you know he's now you know trying to tell people well we, we didn't really want to overturn the election we, you know we really only had the votes on two states. Um, ignoring the fact that that he and and many many other Republicans signed on to that incredibly bogus Texas lawsuit to the Supreme Court that would have overturned the results of the election. So um, I, I think this is a very very valuable accountability tool, and I would strongly recommend people go to the report card. Olivia Troy, thank you so much for joining us on this Monday. I appreciate it very much. Thanks so much for having me, and thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.